about our guest speaker was mentioned. He's not really a guest. He's a member of our church and been here for the last several years is Nathan Baker. Nathan's one of our missionaries we're going to be sending out in April. And so at the end of the service today, there's going to be a commissioning for he and for his wife, Tessa, their little baby, Shiela, who's five months old. And I hope you slept last night. I know how that can be uh, when these things happen. But I remember I first met Tessa on the first trip that Southbridge took to Madagascar. And I'll tell you, just as far as what they're like as a couple, she was getting it done before Nathan even came along. And uh, she was, you know, ministering to the college students and having a great impact. And then Nathan came on the, the mission field there in Madagascar, Africa, and they met and got married. So it is not necessarily a dating strategy to go on the mission field, but it worked for them. And uh, we're glad that they're here and uh, part of our church. I'm going to pray for Nathan, so why don't you come on up here, Nathan? And he's going to be preaching to us this morning what God's laid on his heart. I believe he's got a word that'll impact each of us, whether you're staying here or whether God sends you across the globe to make disciples. And uh, maybe God will show you, too, just kind of what he's doing in your heart. Some of you might not even be believers, followers of Jesus Christ, and I believe he's got a plan for you to be here today. And so I'm going to pray for all of us, and uh, then Nathan's going to preach the word. Let me pray. Father, thank you just uh, that we can gather as believers, as the family of God. I pray for Nathan right now that you would calm his heart as he stands before his church family and uh, just remind him that we all want to hear from what you've laid on his heart and that uh, no one here is antagonistic to him. And uh, God, I pray that you would help us as a church family just get to know each other better. I pray we get to know this family so when we hear about them in the days ahead that we'll know, oh, Nathan and Tessa Baker, I remember him, he preached or he was in my small group or whatever it is that you've done, how you've touched different lives through the bakers. And, and Father, I pray that you, as you send them, I know we'll commission them later, that you would just have a hedge of protection around them, around their marriage. You'd keep them bound together in unity in their marriage and keep them focused on your mission. And I know the enemy wants to destroy them and rob them. I pray for their little baby, that their baby, Shiala, will come to know you as her savior and will walk with you and want to have an impact for you. And, and God, I pray for each one of our hearts and our minds right now as Nathan opens the word that you would just have us see something we've never seen before. Challenge us. Change us. Help us to love you and want you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks. Good morning, Southbridge. It is really an honor and a special privilege for me to come to you, our church family, and, uh, and bring to you what, what God has said in his word. Scott's already set this up a, a little bit, but we, I wanted to share... Tessa and my story of, of going to Madagascar, how God's transformed our lives. But Tessa is the real missionary. I'm, I'm kind of just tagging along here. When Tessa was in fourth grade, she had a teacher at her church that began to introduce her to world missions and what God was doing in the world. And it was at that point that Tessa knew that she was going to be a missionary in Africa. God put that in her heart in fourth grade. Now in sixth grade, I sat listening to a missionary from Venezuela. He was talking about what God was doing in Venezuela, how God had taken him there. And I said, thank you, God, that you have not called me to be a missionary. I am so glad that you called this sucker and not me. And I never, never wanted to be, never expected to be a missionary and standing here talking to you about missions. But here I am. So... God has completely defied my expectations for my life to, to bring me something better than I could ever imagine. And we may not, you may not be sitting there as a, as a sixth grader like I was or, or hard-hearted to missions like I was, but we do all have expectations for our life, right? We all expect 
something, expect our life to turn out in a certain way or, or in certain areas of our life. You know, maybe you expected to be married at this point in your life, or you are married and you just expected something completely different. Or maybe you just expected to be in a different place. Or you're looking at colleges and you're expecting, I'm going to be here or, or there. Whatever it is, we all have those things. And the question is, are we going to allow those expectations that we have to determine our life? Or will we trust God with our life? That's the challenge for all of us. I never Never expected to be a missionary. I definitely never expected to go to Madagascar and meet my wife there. Never expected that. Did not expect that we would be going back even. But God has defied my expectations for my life to bring me something better than I could imagine. And he wants to do that for all of us. God's word, the challenge that he brings to us today is hand over your expectations to a king who is not what you expect, but is better than you could ever imagine. And we're going to be reading out of Matthew 13, verses 31 to 35, about some parables that Jesus gives. Starting in verse 31, he, that's Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches." He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation or since the creation of the world. And so the question is, if, if this is an unexpected king, what should we expect from him? And Jesus tells us three ways that we should expect he and his kingdom to work. He and his kingdom are unexpectedly humble, but they go global. They're unexpectedly hard to see, but they totally transform. And they're unexpectedly hated, but they bring ultimate fulfillment. See, Jesus starts with a mustard seed, which actually is a pretty poor way to introduce his kingdom. And see, it doesn't come across as much to us, but maybe you've seen a mustard seed before. They sell them in the supermarkets. A mustard seed is a tenth of an inch in diameter, very small. Jesus says it's the smallest known seed to his audience. And actually, the teachers in Jesus' day used the mustard seed as an illustration, but one to point out how meaningless something was or how pointless something was. And that's what Jesus uses to compare his kingdom with. Why would he do that? He's teaching that, yes, he and his kingdom come humbly, unexpectedly humble, but they're going to grow and go global. If you've been in Southridge, even for the past few months, we've been, we've been going through Mark, through the book of Mark, and you've probably picked up that the Jews weren't exactly expecting Jesus. They were expecting a Messiah, which, which to them was a political savior. He, they were expecting a warrior king to come and defeat all of their enemies and make their nation great again. Well, that's not what Jesus was. They were not expecting God to come as a man and be born in humble Bethlehem, to be born next to farm animals, raised in obscurity for 30 years of his life where nobody even knew that he existed. 
and to start teaching and, and working parables and, instead of defeating their enemies, this, this was not what they expected at all. In fact, two chapters before this, John the Baptist, who is Jesus' right-hand man in ministry, his cousin, he is imprisoned and is about to be beheaded. And he sends a message to Jesus and says, man, are you, are you really the king? Or should we expect another king? Because John was not expecting, even though he believed in the kingdom, he believed in Jesus, he just wasn't expecting it to come that way. He wasn't expecting it to affect him that way, being in prison. The Pharisees, the, the religious authorities of Jesus' day, they come to him a chapter before this and say, okay, if you're the king, then validate yourself. Show us a miracle. Just prove that you actually have power. And instead, Jesus leaves the house that they're at and goes to the, the seashore, gets in a boat, and begins teaching these parables from a boat to the, the audience there on the seashore. And you know that the people there in that audience, they have to be thinking, who is this guy? Is, could this really be our king? Could this really be our king when he works in such strange ways? When, when he allows a good man like John, one of his followers, to be killed, to suffer. We didn't expect that. Could this really be our king when he hasn't changed our country in the way that we expected? And see, it's at, it's at those points that we are exactly like the Jews. We all have ways that we have expected or still expect Jesus to work in our life. We wonder why our friends or our family have suffered so much under King Jesus, with King Jesus. We, we wonder why he hasn't change the country more. And if you're sitting there and, and just wondering, I mean, king and kingdom, we don't really use those terms anymore. So does that even still apply to us? I mean, just look at the past political season. We still apparently put a lot of stock in who leads our country because we believe that, that they could change our lives, change everything. And so we even set aside some of our expectations for them. But we're not expecting a king like Jesus. I think all of us more want a king that will change the world for us, will, will change everything except us. But Jesus isn't that kind of king. Jesus is the king who will change us for the world. That is his mission. And we know that because Jesus himself changed for us. See, we, I think we underestimate just really how broken we are as people and how broken the rest of the world is. And I mean, even in our country and in many others, we see deep brokenness, deep divides that we can't restore. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows there was no way that we could fix ourselves. And so he humbled himself to become a man so that he could save us. It says in Philippians 2, 6 through 11, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is not our king 
only by right. He has the right to be our king, but he is our king because he is the only leader who was willing to sacrifice his very self for us. He loves us more than any other leader has ever loved us, and it's for that reason that we follow him. He humbled himself for us to die our death so that we could live the life he made us to live. That is why he is our king. But he didn't come just to save you or to save me, to save any one individual. He desires that every single person in every nation be saved. He's going global. Uh, Did you catch that the mustard seed, when it grows, it becomes this massive tree that all the birds of the air come and nest in. And that's actually a picture from the Old Testament. Ezekiel 17 and in Daniel 4, both of those prophets, they saw this enormous tree that was growing in the earth, so large that it actually grew larger than the earth and the whole earth could fit inside of it. In Daniel 4, Daniel is, is interpreting a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, who you may remember is one of the greatest kings of all time and in his time had the greatest kingdom. And he says to, to Nebuchadnezzar, The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth." And so it's, it's this metaphor that Jesus now takes and applies to himself. Jesus stands as, as God in the flesh, the greatest king with the greatest kingdom ever. But unlike Nebuchadnezzar, he comes humbly because he comes for us, but not just for us, for the world. Remember, he wants to change us for the world. And how did that happen? Well, Jesus was a humble man, but as soon as he starts his ministry, he meets Andrew. Andrew introduces Jesus to his brother, Peter. And Peter, you may remember, is the first leader of the early church, preaches to thousands of people at Pentecost. And it's thousands of people that believe in in his message, believe in Jesus. They have their lives changed so much that even in a time of persecution, when they're coming down hard on them, they leave Jerusalem, the only place that they've ever known, their their capital, and they, they move out and share the gospel wherever they go. Some of them even share the gospel to Gentiles, people that they hated for racial and religious reasons. And and that group, the Jews and Gentiles there, then planted the church at Antioch that ended up sending Paul, Barnabas, and others as some of the first missionaries who went out to different regions and countries. So much so that in Acts 19.10, Luke says that all of Asia heard the gospel because of what Paul was doing in Ephesus. And then 50 years later, in AD 111, a man named Pliny of Bithynia is a Roman official, a governor. He's writing to the Roman emperor, and he says this, I therefore postponed the investigation of Christians and hastened to consult you. For the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. For many persons of every age, every rank, and also of both sexes are and will be endangered. For the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but also to the villages and farms. Christianity was going global. It was spreading everywhere. And it has spread to us today here in RDU. We sit and listen here as a body of believers because of that small mustard seed, Jesus, who who spread a movement across the world. And now the question is, are we going to be a part of that next chapter? 
What are we going to do to continue to spread the kingdom through the world globally? It, it is through the, the small things in our life that God grows the kingdom in us and our small contributions that God then used to, uses to grow his kingdom through the world. In Madagascar, J.D. Hensterling, a lawyer, he's able to use that gift, that small gift that God has given him to teach a classroom full of students and share his faith there. David Acasiano, Jared Inez, and, and so many others, but those guys were able to use their musical talents to literally unite two churches that had been at odds in Madagascar by playing and, and by giving the students in those churches a chance to just get to know each other. God uses those small gifts that he has given us to grow his kingdom throughout the world, here in RDU, but in Madagascar also, and in other nations. Tessa, in fourth grade, God had planted desires, passions in her that he would use later in Madagascar. Her love for reading and for languages, he used so that she could translate stories in Madagascar. God has given all of us those passions, those skills, those small things, small seeds in you that are just waiting to grow large in the rest of the world. But will, will we do that? Will we become a part of this kingdom that's going global? The next thing that Jesus says, he compares his kingdom next to yeast. And it's showing that the kingdom is unexpectedly humble, but going global, but it's also unexpectedly hard to see. And yet, totally transforms everything. The, the image of the yeast is, is still a, a strange one. The, the yeast that Jesus is talking about here, it's, uh, if you've ever tried to make sourdough bread, it's like a sourdough starter. So a, a piece of old fermented dough. Literally, it's a fungus. So Jesus has compared his kingdom to a mustard seed and fungus. Awesome. But, the, the point is, this, this old piece of dough is stuck inside. It, it says in, in this version here, a large amount. Literally, it's between like 50 and 60 pounds of flour. Ladies, when is the last time you used 50 to 60 pounds of flour in your baking project? Well, hopefully not recently. That'd be massive. And that's the point. It's, it's a massive amount of flour to represent this, this large world that we live in. And Jesus is saying that he and his kingdom, like that old piece of dough, it's hard to see when it's stuck inside of that batch of dough, but then it slowly spreads through the whole thing. And Jesus slowly spreads his influence through the whole world and through each of us personally. Now, I know it may be hard to see Jesus at work in our culture. It, it is hard to see, but it's there and it's totally transforming everything. And again, we can personally testify, those of us who have met him, he totally transforms our life. But see, the reason he's so hard to see is because it's not us doing the work. We want to work hard and see results. But when Jesus is doing the work, it's not always like that. It's not our work. Jesus is the one doing the transforming. But now if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, I, I'm already a Christian. I've, I've already been transformed. Just remember that this is a transformation that takes over every area of your life. It is a total transformation. When I, when I first came to know Jesus, it was after a, a Billy Graham crusade in Charlotte. I was seven years old. And I thought that was pretty much it. God had already transformed me. But even though it was hard to see at times, God was always at work doing something different and, and changing my life. 
I love uh, writing and I love acting. And so in college, I actually studied acting. I, I was going to spend my life. That's how I expected to spend the rest of my life. And I was actually in the middle of a Shakespeare show, for those of you who like Shakespeare. And in the middle of the night, had this thought planted in my mind that I would serve the next two years in another nation. And I, that was completely off of my radar. But the next morning I woke up and, you know, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible. Uh, I've gotten to Revelation. And in Jesus' words to the church of Philadelphia, I read, This letter is written by one who shuts doors no man can open and opens doors no man can shut. So I, I prayed, well, God, uh, this is not expected at all. I, I don't really know what you're doing. But if, if you really want me to do this, open the doors and I'll walk through them. And if not, if this is a mistake, please shut the door. I'll gladly walk back to what I was doing. And you know, I kept walking through open doors until I walked through an open plane door in Madagascar. And then the plane door shut behind me and the plane left. <laughs> and I was stuck there. So I, I was there for two years and God continued to just transform me over and over again. But not just me, he changed me for the world. It was there that I met Tessa, I met Grant Waller, who you all know. Grant had actually spent a year uh, learning the language and culture to be able to share the gospel and, and shared the gospel with two villages. And then me and another guy shared with a third village. And I'll just lay it out for you. We were working in the fields with them, going to market with them, traveling with them, hanging out, just living life, sharing our own story of how Jesus had changed our life, and then stories from the Bible. And by God's grace, people believed from the villages. Now, not the whole village, but from those three villages, we had, we had believers, we had Christians. And do you know that from the people that have gone on those yearly trips from Southbridge, they have watched the gospel spread through Madagascar, village by village, person by person, one conversation by another, just like it is here that they were in one small act of kindness through one small you know, use of their spiritual gift, through, through one small friendship, the gospel was growing and transforming villages. Ladies, there's a story of, of one woman who was at the market and just felt so overwhelmed by what God had done in her life. She just began proclaiming the gospel in the marketplace. So the next time you're at Whole Foods or at Fresh Market, <laughs> feel free to just start shouting out your testimony. It could work. Guys, they, in, uh, in Madagascar, when the guys go to different villages, basically they have like a business meeting. And as, as different villages brought up concerns, they would just say, well, let me tell you what God has done to change our village. And the gospel was just spreading like that. It has gone from three to 53 villages now in just three short years. And it will continue to spread, I know, by God's grace. And we go to continue that. This is, this is a humble but going global kingdom. Hard to see at times in our life or in the world, but it is totally transforming everything. And in the end, the kingdom is the only thing that will be left standing. The last thing that Jesus says is his kingdom is unexpectedly hated when it shows up, but it brings ultimate fulfillment. Now, Jesus is speaking in parables this whole time from the boat there. Why? Why is he doing that? 
Jesus is speaking in parables as a way to reveal the, the heart of his audience. There's basically two types of people there. Those who are willing to hand over their expectations to Jesus, and they will, the parables will reveal something about Jesus to them. But for the ones who want to just hang on to their expectations and aren't willing to change, the parables will actually conceal something about Jesus to them. And that's the same for us too. That our, our expectations can actually keep us from seeing what God wants to do in our life. Matthew here is referencing Psalm 78 when he says Jesus is fulfilling what the prophet said. And Psalm 78 basically just goes through the history of Israel and says every single time that God came to save them, he did it in an unexpected way. And because of that, they hated him for it. They always hated when God messed with their lives trying to save them in an unexpected way. Now Jesus is doing the same thing. He showed up as an unexpected king and he wants to save them, bring him in, bring them into his kingdom, but they hate him because they didn't expect him. And again, will we do the same thing? Will we trust our expectations or will we trust God? Will we try to fulfill our own expectations or will we trust God's expectations for our own life? Because you see, Matthew says, this was to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. And that, if you want to just go ahead and underline fulfill in your Bible, I would actually encourage you to, to underline fulfill every single time in Matthew because he uses it a lot. But what he is saying is Jesus came to fulfill the destiny of Israel and of all mankind. Because God had, had delivered Israel out from bondage in Egypt to make them a missionary nation to connect the nations around them to God for life change. And they completely blew it. They, they cared more about their own expectations, about their own life than they did about what God had called them to. And so God humbled himself to become a man, a man that would live out the life that he had desired for every man and woman in Israel, that he still desires us to live. But it's only Jesus that fulfills that kind of life. We're working hard to fulfill our expectations this morning or to fulfill the expectations of others. And ultimately, we have to fulfill the expectations of God himself, and yet none of us can. There is no, no one sitting here that has ever really fulfilled their potential, their God-given potential that God made us to be a part of this kingdom. And the only way we'll ever have that kind of fulfillment, that fulfilled life, is in Jesus Christ. He's the only way. If you're trying to, to experience that fulfillment, he is the only way. And you have to hand over your expectations to him. He is not what you expect, but better than you could ever imagine. In Madagascar, I told you I was there for two years. What I didn't tell you is I hated the first year. <laughs> hated it. Uh, honest to goodness. And I resented God for sending me there. And you know, it was only when I read an email update from a friend, a girl named Cameron who had gone out with us. She wasn't serving in Madagascar, she was in Niger. But she actually came from the Triangle, was at NC State, um, very talented graphic design artist, and she just walked away from that and is serving in the desert in Niger. And in her email update, she says, I am just so happy that God has called me to share my life with these Muslim women and children. And it just, it hit me because I wanted that. I wanted to be like that. And so I, I prayed and I repented and I said, God, I, I hate it here. 
I, I don't like what you're doing in my life, but I, I want to be like Cameron. I want to be happy with where you have put me. And so I hand over all my expectations to you. I don't expect a thing now. Just use me. And my life began to change at that point. I began to learn the language. I began to get, be connected with, with these people that I now call brothers and sisters. Everything about my life changed to the point that, you know, now we're going back. And it's only when we hand over our expectations like that, that, that we'll get a life better than we could imagine because we have Jesus himself as our fulfillment. So my invitation to you is hand over your expectations this morning. I, I guarantee it, it's not going to be a life that you have ever expected for yourself, but it will be better, better than you could ever imagine. Jesus has continued to transform our life again to the point where when Tessa and I first went to Madagascar, you know, he had transformed us to get us there. But then living there has transformed us again. And, and he's continued to transform us and is now sending us back. I, I know again for not something that we expect, but he wants us all to be a part of that. He wants us all to be a part of, of connecting, connecting people, but connecting the world globally to Jesus for a life change. And we all have a role to play in his kingdom. And the three ways that we are talking about that is praying, giving, and going. Let me just talk about praying real quick. Hand over your expectations to God. Go to him in prayer and see what he expects for your life. Please you know, pray for us as we are in Madagascar. We, we need all the help we can get. We know we can't do anything without Jesus and we know we can't do anything without churches like Southbridge praying for us. We, we desperately need your prayers. And, and as you pray, don't, don't just pray that God would move in the nations unless you're ready for him to move you because that's how he works. And giving, you know, you all have been very generous to us. God may expect more from you. I, I don't know. Maybe the one who changed his whole life to come and save us for our sake, wants you to change your life for the sake of somebody else. Be willing to pray about that. And if you, if you feel like, you know, I, I would give, but I really just don't know enough. As Scott said, there is, there is so much information out there in the cafeteria right now. Get connected with one of those groups. You know, whether it's here in RDU or in another nation, in Panama and Madagascar, learn. Learn so that you can know more. And, and finally, going. We're, each and every one of us, commanded to go, to go and make disciples, as we already heard this morning. And what we have seen is that God changes us as we go. That's part of the transforming process. If you have already gone to Madagascar, just raise your hand right now. It's because of people like you that Tessa and I are here. We were connected to Southbridge because you obey the call to go. And, and we got to know you as you came over, and, and then we're connected to Southbridge when we came to Raleigh. And, and God wants to continue to transform your life. For you all that have gone, has it not changed your life going? God wants to change our lives, but, but we, we have to obey him. And 
I know that we have, you all have job responsibilities. You all have, have family priorities. There's other priorities that, that are more important than missions. But, but just hear me out for one minute. We have heard God's word this morning. We have heard, heard his good news. And I don't think any of us woke up wondering if we were going to eat today. And that is just not true for most of the people that we're going to in Madagascar. It's not true for many people in this world. And for some reason, God has allowed us to grow up in America. He has allowed us to hear his good news. He has given us resources and talents and abilities that could change someone's life in another nation. What if God wants to use your child to change someone's life in another nation? Are you going to hold them back? What if he wants to do a work in your life that he can only do if you go? Are you going to miss out on that? Don't allow your expectations to keep you from this kingdom. If you don't know Jesus this morning, then he is not what you expect, but he is better than you could ever imagine. He is the only way you will ever live that, that fulfilled life that you're looking for. So I, I invite you, I beg you, come to him and experience this life change. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your, your goodness to us. Thank you for sending your son to do what we could not do, live the life that we could not live, die a death in our place so that we could, could, we, we could experience life. I pray that you would, you would overcome our own expectations for our life, God, and that you would transform us for the world. Please change us for the world so that more can come to know you and be a part of this kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen.